0: There's some energy in here this morning, man. That was nice. Um, I'm going to just begin by reading uh, the text this morning. And um, I I pray that you're left challenged uh, by a text that you know well. Um, This is Luke 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. And he asked, who is my neighbor? Uh oh! Hey, we got the wrong slides up, guys. I'm going to be real with you. Um, yeah. uh, if y'all don't mind, um, I think my slides are back there, but it's cool um, if we can't find them because we're going to just have fun this morning. Um, <laughs> I'm looking. I looked up and I was like, "That's not what I'm reading, and that's not my title, and that's not my verse." And I'm panicking, and I'm just going to. Um, so I want to talk to you guys real quick while we get the slides up. I'm, I want to talk to you guys real quick just about being basic. Uh, he asks, what is the greatest command? And he comes back and Jesus comes back and he says, hey, it's like this. Love God, love people. Now, this seems simple to me. Um, this is how it all begins. And to be honest with you, when I hear that command, it's very simple to me. Love God, I do. Love people, I feel like I do. And so, man, I feel good about this. When Jesus stands up and he says, listen, what do I need to do to go to heaven? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he says this, love God and love people. And man, if I'm the Pharisee, I'm walking away thinking, I- I've got this. I- I've got this one. In fact, on most most of the times when I've looked at this passage, and who is my neighbor, the answer in my mind and other people's minds is, well, whoever's convenient. It's your next-door neighbor. During during uh, um, Steve's class, it's been hilarious because I've done very little to try to do my homework assignments every week. I'm like a lot of you. I'll forget a lot of these things. And I'll literally go in my backyard, and my neighbor is back there looking over the fence at me. His name is Jim. He's a great guy. And he's like, Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? And I'm like, good. Hey, can I come over and talk to you? Okay. And I'm thinking, man, Steve's class is so weird that the timing is like this because I'm doing nothing. And then he's calling my phone and all these opportunities. Hey, you fly fish, right? Yeah, I do. Can I go fly fishing with you? And it's, it's so weird how the opportunity is like, I'm doing nothing. And I'm, I almost want to raise my hand in class every week and say, why yes, I reached out to my neighbor. It would be a lie, but, but it would, it's, it's amazing how that's been happening, but that is easy. That is simple. I believe, and I think we can simplify this command and make it just. Well, this is not a big deal. Here we go. Um, and so, just getting into these verses, I want to look at this. And I'm think I was thinking about sports this week. How every sport has a very, very basic command, which is the first thing um, that you learn in that sport. And we make fun of it. You know, when the, the football coach is interviewed at halftime, what do you need to do different? Um, how is a And M going to beat Texas? How is this possible? And, and the, the coach comes back, and he always says the same thing. It doesn't matter whether you're in the NFL. It doesn't matter whether you're in college. They always say the same thing. Well, we're going to try to move the ball forward. <laughs> and, and you're thinking, wow, you, you went through a lot of education <laughs> to say that. I feel like I could be a head football coach now. Um, and in baseball, what is it? Keep, keep your eye on the ball. Just keep looking at the ball, man. This is—it's pretty simple. Running or hiking, keep breathing. Which sounds so basic, but any of you who have done it were like, "Nope, you actually do forget." Um, soccer. What it? What would? What would it be? Come on, on, help me. What would it be? What would y'all say? How many of y'all say triangles? Some of y'all say don't touch the ball with your hands. I remember learning triangles early and that means keep triangles open, but, but don't touch the ball with your hands. Keep the ball at your feet. Things like this. They're the most basic commands and they sound so simple, but even at the highest level of sports, you hear them saying, this is what we need to work on. The most absolute basic thing. Um, I, uh, I was given a project just recently. When you leave the church today, you're going to see my project. On this corner, there are two green posts sticking out of the ground. Now, those green posts are a major accomplishment for me. We had T-posts, and when we put up banners, they would wave and rip the banner, and it looked all nasty. And I was like, we have got to do a better job of this. We're going to make this look good. I'm going to put some posts in the ground that look nice. And my one job is to put a post in the ground and to make it plumb. I know I can do this. So I want to do it right, and I'm talking to people, and I'm talking to a room full of people where there are people in this building that know what it is to build major buildings. You are project managers. There's people in here that know how to build houses and build buildings. I'm a preacher, and I'm just trying to put a post in the ground. But I know it's there for everybody to see, and I want to do it right. So I call Colorado 811. Is that right? Is that the number I call? I think that's what I call call 811 for weeks i am getting emails i've got 20 to 25 emails now um people writing back to me well xl energy has to clear you sewage ha- has to clear you your irrigation has to clear you Poudre valley schools have to clear you i had to get cleared by all kinds of organizations to put a post in the ground just a little bit more than a foot and i'm waiting and i'm going through all of this finally i get cleared and um, I'm digging a hole. It took, what, five minutes. Dug my hole, put my cement in the ground. Or I'm sorry, cement. I always get corrected. I put my cement in the ground, and I put my hole in, uh, my post in. I get my level out, and I'm doing everything. I'm going to make this plum, and I'm reading the instructions. It's really the most simple task. I said, all I need to do is to make sure this is plumb, so it looks nice on our corner. And I make sure that this is level as can be. And I said, you know what? It takes 25 minutes minimum. But 25 minutes to an hour and a half, something like that. Just sit here and wait for it to cure. You know what? I'm going to make sure this gets done right. I'm going to stand on this corner. For 25 minutes, I'm going to stand here. The most basic task and make sure nobody touches my pole. So I'm just standing there. 15 seconds later, the sweetest sweetest elderly man comes walking by and he's just w- going up the sidewalk and he finally comes to me and he, he stops and he just stares at me and he says, nice day. And I said, yeah, I said, I appreciate the visit. I'm out here and I had nobody to talk to and we had the most amazing visit. It was beautiful. And he's one of our neighbors. So I have the most amazing visit with this man and he talks about being at war and Vietnam and a lot of other things. We had a great talk. And finally, he grabs the level out of my hand. He says, son, I'm going to check your work. (laughs) It's just just a post, man. Okay, so he comes, he makes sure it's level, and then shakes it. (laughs) And I'm standing there thinking, Jeff, you had one job. For 25 minutes, you had one job. Fortunately, it was okay. Everything okay. But I went in just laughing that for 25 minutes, I can't put a post in the ground. And I'm talking to people that know how to build homes. And, and, and this is how difficult it was. And I was thinking about this command, the greatest command, the simplest command, love God, love your neighbor. So this man st- stands up to test Jesus. I want you to hold that in, in your mind. He's coming up to test him. He's not being genuine. This is a teacher of the law. He knows the law well. He probably sees Jesus as this man that's just full of grace for everybody. Well, you show grace over here to this woman that was a sinner. You show grace to this man, Legion, who's, and you show grace to the Gentiles. I guess everybody can be saved, right, Jesus? What do you need to do to be saved? Do you need to do anything at all? I'm, I'm wondering if that might be where the scribes, where the Pharisees, where the teachers in the law might have been in relation to this Christ. And, and he comes back, and, and what's so interesting is this question is, is super crucial to Luke. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. This is how many times this question comes up. Here, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? With John the Baptist, the crowd asks, What do we need to do? The tax collectors asked, What should we do? The soldiers asked, What do we need to do for eternal life? Later in chapter 18, a rich young ruler is going to say, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Acts 2.38, you know that one, right? What do we need to do? This is a, a crucial question to Luke. What do I need to do? To get to be in heaven with you, to have eternal life with you. And Jesus answered this What's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, that's interesting. He asked him two different questions. First of all, what's written in the law? Well, you're a scribe, you know this. Um, And he answers, Well, I know Deuteronomy 6. I know Deuteronomy 19. Here you go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And I know this too love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus says, um, that's right, do this and you will live. And then he comes back and he says, okay, so who is my neighbor? Well, this is where it gets more complicated. And we talked about this in class this morning. I want to talk to you about the Samaritans first before we get into this, this parable or this account of what we call the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans, I want to talk about who they were. Um, early on, when Israel was divided uh, into two nations, they were divided into Judah to the south, comprised of Judah and Benjamin, and the other ten tribes to the north, the Israelites. The Israelites went into captivity early on. Um, when they were brought back into the nation, there are still 800 Samaritans alive today, how about that? Um, So Samaritans still exist today as a people and as a religion. Uh, This is a, a, a picture of them today, still at Mount Gerizim, still in the same location honoring this. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this. When they were brought back into the land, and I'm going to kind of fly through their history... Um, they were reintroduced and they they were mixed with a different different races of people. In fact, it says in Second Kings seventeen, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sarvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. Each of these nations representing a different god. I think it's very likely that the woman at the well represents Samaria as a whole. Five husbands that you've had. The one you're living with now is not your husband. You've answered well, and and this whole idea between the Samaritans and the Jews, it wasn't just a racial conflict. The Jews did not simply see the Samaritans as you are raced, you've mixed, you failed God, but the problem is that they were a very arrogant people. Don't think for a second that the Samaritans um, were a people that said, you're right, the Jews are greater people than we are. We're not as good. We went into captivity. Our blood's been mixed. We're a, we're a half-breed. That's not how the Samaritans viewed the situation at all. The Samaritans considered themselves, still today, the one true people of God. In the time of Jesus, the Samaritans considered themselves to be the one true Israel. They do not believe in anything that happened after Deuteronomy. So they've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy in common. Now hold on to what that means. That means they have this command in common. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They also took the Passover. They took the matzah. They took the uh, the unleavened bread there. They, They have that in common. After that, here's everything they don't believe in. King David. Any of the prophets. Even those prophets that the Bible says were sent to Israel, they say fake news. In fact, everything that you're going to hear about, uh, that you read about in the Bible after Deuteronomy, the Samaritans say fake news. King David, no. Jerusalem, no. The temple, no. All of it, fake news. So the Samaritans think that the Jews are actually sorcerers. They think they got mixed with people. They brought other religions in. And they hate the Jews for corrupting their religion. They hate them for it. So it's not simply the Jews looking at the Samaritans saying, you are the the sick people. It's the Samaritans looking at the Jews and saying the same thing. They believed and still believe today that Mount Gerizim, where right, right next to Shechem where they are, is the highest mountain in the world. Um, And a lot of you are thinking, wow, they haven't been to Colorado, that mountain's not even half as big as Long's Peak. You know, it's not, guess what, it's not even half as big as, well, it's not even as big as the mountain right next to it, Mount Nebo. But they still believe it's the highest mountain in the world. They believe the Ark of the Covenant is buried there, that the Messiah is coming back. They actually believe in a Messiah just like the Jews did. They believed in all this. And I won't keep going on this because it's super fascinating to talk about the belief systems of these two different groups and how extremely different they are. Um, But the one thing they have in common is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's about it. Outside of that, it's sick. This is the road, as we get into the parable of this uh, good Samaritan, this is the road that goes from Jerusalem um, to, and Jesus Watch this, Jesus chose a specific road, Jerusalem to Jericho. It's eighteen miles long. Uh, the rise, uh, the incline on this road, is the same. It's almost exactly the same as if you were to walk from here to Horse Tooth, which, depending on the route you take, is between five and ten miles from here. If you were to walk from here to the top of Horse Tooth twice, it's a very serious incline, and it's going to go for eighteen miles. This is the most treacherous road in all of Israel. Bandits were on this road. It was it was a place that was considered to be a dangerous place. Uh, So you're looking at kind of a picture of the kind of rise you would be looking at. Um, And uh, this is the parable: A man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. This man's naked. They beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now hold on, he's half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, I, can, I get it. Um, if this man dies, I'm unclean. If this man dies, I can't perform my duties as a priest. I can't enter the temple. Listen, um, he's made bad choices in his life. Obviously, God has judged him. It's not my responsibility. I have to attend church. I have to go and perform my duties. I've got to do what I need to do. But he passes by. A Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. The religious leaders. But a Samaritan. The Samaritans are known, first off, for being the bandits, generally. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came there and where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins Gave him to the innkeeper, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, Jesus closes by saying, So who was the neighbor? Um, what must I do to inherit eternal life was the original question, wasn't it? Did you just use a Samaritan as an example of what I must do for eternal life? He's a heretic. He's a heretic. He doesn't honor King David. He doesn't honor the prophets. Look at this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This would be an obvious checklist. Listen, we get, we get this one. Love God, love your neighbor. Check. Honoring the Holy Scriptures, there's probably not a person in here that would say, absolutely, you honor the Holy Scriptures. Sacrifices at the temple, and especially in their time, there was pilgrimage that needed to be made for three, at least three. Uh, Major feast days. Um, A king on David's throne. Um, That was a major part of Jewish thought. For the Jews, absolutely, this is what you must do at the minimum. We're not even getting into the Talmud. We're not even getting into the oral teachings and the writings of you need to not pick heads of grain on the Sabbath kind of things. We're talking about these are the basics. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Samaritan... None of these in the Jewish mind. You aren't doing anything right. You're not honoring the Holy Scriptures. You're not taking sacrifice to the temple. A king on David's throne. The one thing that this guy is doing right, as a model, how about this? As a model of what must I do to inherit eternal life, he takes a Samaritan. And he says, at least he's doing the first thing right. At least he loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves his neighbor and himself. I could not believe Steve's class this morning in the video where we were talking about this man that was an evil man, a sick man. And I loved the fact that Bob Goff said, I almost had to stop his preaching because he was a heretic. He got nothing right. Nothing of the gospel is right. Everything he's saying is wrong except the one key element. And he said forgiveness, I think. Forgiveness. He got the one thing right and people were being transformed and people were being saved. Now, this message I had to pray about this morning because I was thinking, ooh, people could understand what I'm saying and, and the implications could be way further than what I would ever intend. But I also would say this, um, we, we traditionally have not gone far enough with this story. Uh, this story should challenge us in a major way. And so they're getting none of these things right. And he says this, but they're getting the one thing. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep moving forward. Love God. Love your neighbor. Stay focused. This one thing. God said this in Deuteronomy 32. Command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They're not just idle words for you. They are your life. Jesus says the same thing about this law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this I'm talking about your life, eternal life. What it looks like is to get this, because if you get this, the rest of the law falls into place. The problem is Jesus' question How do you read it? Not just what does it say. The question is, how do you apply this? How do you understand this? How do you digest this and manifest this? What does this mean to you? Love your neighbor. Um, some of you know, when I was 20 years old, I was taken at gunpoint by a bandit on the side of the road. He was responsible for more than 80 rapes and murders, children, um, in Ecuador. His name, he went by El Desdientado del Pichincha, the toothless man of Mount Pichincha. I hated that man. I had nightmares about that man for more than a decade. I was full of hate and rage. This man that had done this not just to me, but to children... And I was thinking about it in class this morning and it took a long time for me to get past the trauma, to get past the rage, to get past the anger. And then documentaries came out about him on the internet. Um, And in one of those documentaries, I heard his voice again for the first time since I was young. And his voice is nasty and it's sick. And it's a voice like none ever I've heard on earth. And all he said was, inocente. I'm innocent. And I was... Again, it's resurfaced with me as soon as I saw the document, I heard his voice and I said, I remember that voice. I remember how sick that man is. I remember how much I hate him. And and that's the thing to me. Jim next door is an amazing man. He's fun to talk to. If I'm gonna leave that at my neighbor, guys, if I read this text that way, let's go home and love our neighbors and let's eat our lunches. It's a pretty easy lesson. And let's not confuse the fact. Let's not try to let's not try to pretend like that's a challenging teaching. Yeah, but their tree branches fall in my yard, kind of a thing. I'm talking about your neighbor. And Jesus comes back and he punches him in the gut and he says, who is my neighbor? And he says, immediately, I'm going to talk to you about Samaritans. We don't only have race differences, we have serious, serious religious differences. And to go to the extreme of a Samaritan that you don't even believe in the Holy Scriptures, you don't believe in any of this stuff. And Jesus says, but at least he's doing the one thing that matters. He loves God and he really loves people. Not the kind of love people that says, man, I want to pray for good things in your life. The kind of love people that says, I'm going to sacrifice everything I had set out to do today. That's on hold. I'm going to take this budget that I had budgeted for something different and now this goes to a man that has showed nothing but hostility to me. I'm going to go out of my way to provide for him what he hasn't even asked for. And he might die, and everybody else could have left him to die, but I'm going to make sure that he lives. And to find that kind of love in your heart is a step in the direction of finding who God is. Uh, The parable of the Good Samaritan. You grew up with all your life. I've grown up with all my life. I'm convinced that it's more challenging than we have made it sometimes. And Bob Goff's words this morning were perfect. I couldn't believe it aligned so amazingly with what I wanted to share with you today. I loved with what somebody, what somebody said in class this morning, and I was almost in tears while they were talking. If you've ever hated somebody so much that you can't hear their voice, and you can't smell their breath, and it makes you sick to even think about them, if that's ever happened with you, especially when it comes to people that are different from you, Financially, by age. They're Republicans. They're Democrats. They're people that live in a different nation and they have a different color of skin. And everything that they have done as a people you think is sick. And so you begin to fill your heart with hatred. Now Jesus is going to ask the question, who is your neighbor? Who is that person for you? Um, And he asks it in the context of eternal life. Absolute eternal life. Just getting this one command, guys. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your gut, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, with everything you are pouring love into this God. But I don't know the scriptures. But I don't know how to exegete Romans, but I don't know, just do this, love God with everything you've got, and turn and throw that into people's lives, into everyone's lives. Uh, Father, I just ask that you would consume us with love. Uh, I, want, I also want to say, God, this morning, um, I pray that no one heard me say that your words and your law are not important they are life, they are gold, they're everything. I just pray, Father, that we won't lose sight of the one teaching, to really love you and to really know what it means to love people. I pray, God, that you'd condition us to be very careful how we listen to you, to be careful, very, very careful how we read your word, so that we don't apply it in a way that doesn't challenge us. I pray, God, that you would fill us with joy and fill us with love and fill us with a spirit of forgiveness. I lift up to you the man that I spoke of in Ecuador and I ask your blessing and your grace and your forgiveness over his life. And I pray, Father, for those that have hurt us that we would somehow robe ourselves with the spirit of Christ and Jesus, not just in the songs that we sing, but in the thoughts that we think. It's in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.